This morning's scripture passage is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. In verse 1, Jesus is speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Word of God. Good morning. I'm Mike Stroh, one of the pastors here. I want to add my word of welcome. So all of us here, especially if you're a guest this morning, we're so glad you're with us as we begin our new series. And the kids can now be dismissed back to the meadow. As we turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14, if you have a Bible or reading device with you, it's human nature to long for eternal life. Across time and culture, most people have held to belief in the afterlife in some form. Endless cycles of life and reincarnation, finding peace in the Elysium fields of ancient Greeks, ascending some higher plane of existence, heaven, as the Bible describes. Author Randy Alcorn writes that the sense we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history. While views of the afterlife obviously differ widely, Across culture and religion, there's something deeply human about this pull toward the eternal. We read legends and stories of famous explorers that scoured the earth for a source of eternal life, like Ponce de Leon searching for the fountain of youth. Next time you're in St. Augustine, Florida, you can stop at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park, where de Leon supposedly landed. Historians now believe he landed far west of there, but you can still go there and drink from the spring he discovered, supposedly. They'll give you a Dixie cup with water from the spring, and you can drink. Spoiler alert, if you haven't made it to St. Augustine yet, it's not the fountain of life. Sorry to break it to you, and I've heard the water is full of minerals, so it doesn't even taste that good anyway. You can take a drink, but you're still going to die, maybe even a little sooner than you would have otherwise. But what a contrast, right, between the legend, this longing, this search for eternal life. What a contrast between the legend and the Dixie Cup. When it comes to this idea of eternal life, maybe you approach it like that tourist destination. Maybe it's an interesting diversion. Maybe it gives you something polite to say at a funeral. But in reality probably just all wishful thinking. 
Or maybe you'd say, while there may be some counterfeits out there, something deeply resonates with you about the eternal. Maybe you're not a Christian, but deep down you know there's something true about eternal life. Or maybe you're a believer and you don't feel very connected to the hope of heaven. Maybe it feels very distant from you, especially with the struggles day to day, the realities that you face. And if you're really honest, maybe your conceptions, how you picture heaven, maybe doesn't quite seem all that appealing to you. Wherever you are on the spectrum, on the topic of heaven, we have good news and you're in the right place. This morning we begin our new series on heaven. With all the different opinions, all the different views on the afterlife, on life after death, we want to take several weeks and dive into scripture and see what God really says. Even if you've been a Christian all your life, I have a feeling some of this may surprise you. Because there's all sorts of confusion, there's all sorts of misconceptions that have crept into Christian thinking about heaven. But don't worry. I assure you the truth is even better in every way than how we may picture it. So I hope you'll stick with us over the next several weeks. We'll look at some of the biggest questions that there are about heaven. Maybe you have some of these questions. Where is heaven? What will we do there? Will we work? Will we just sit around on clouds all day playing harps? What about our loved ones who have died? Will we really see them again? What about our bodies? Why is that question so important? We're going to address all that and much more. But what this series will not be is an academic exercise where we dive into the finer points or where we debate each other to see who's more right about things we can't know for sure. Instead, we want to major on the majors. We want to dive in and see what Scripture says. We want to orient our hearts toward the incredible hope we have as believers and see how that should impact our lives every day. And this morning, as we get started, we'll see the words of Jesus that we just heard read. They are are an anchor for us in all our confusion, in all our doubts. We'll see that heaven is a promise that we can count on, and that Jesus has clearly shown us the way to get there. So as we turn to John 14, would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Our Father, as we just sang, our prayer is that you would speak. Us And we know that the problem is not in your speaking, but it's in our hearing. And so we pray in this moment, in these few minutes we have together this morning, that you would clear away the distractions, clear away the burdens that may be on our hearts, that we might be able to focus, that we might be able to hear, that we might be able to receive the truth from these precious words of the Lord Jesus. And so give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to look at just one place that Jesus talked about heaven. John chapter 14 again, if you have your Bible, starting in verse 1. Jesus speaking, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So as we get started in this series on heaven, I want us to pull out just 
some foundational truths from this passage that then we can build on in the coming weeks. First of all, the first truth we see about heaven is that it's meant to impact our daily life. Jesus begins this teaching on heaven by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Think with me for a moment. What did the disciples have to be troubled about? Well, right before this passage, Jesus foretold his death. He foretold his betrayal and even his denial by the apostle Peter. He knew their faith was about to be tested greatly. And in the coming years, many of them would face death for following him. But he frames this teaching with this very practical command. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let yourself be stirred up or overcome with inner turmoil. Don't be intimidated by what you're facing because you have a sure hope. And if it applied to those disciples facing persecution, facing death, it applies to us. Whatever struggles or fears or doubts or griefs we're facing right now, Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, trust my Father. Trust me. You have nothing to fear. So, the truth about heaven is meant to impact your life now. The second truth from this passage I want us to see is maybe the most important. Maybe the most foundational, depending on where you are right now and how you're wrestling with this topic. But heaven is a promise. Heaven's a promise. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus says, if this wasn't true, why would I be telling you that? In other words, the very word of Jesus is on the line here. Now think about it. Everything Jesus said was true. So he doubly reassures us here of his promise. He knows how prone we are to lose hope, to lose our eternal perspective. So believer, let these words of Jesus this is your first time hearing them or your thousandth time hearing them, let them be an anchor for you today. Know that no matter what happens to you, no matter what you're facing right now, whatever's troubling you in your life at this very moment, Jesus promised you heaven. This promise is all throughout Scripture. I just want to highlight just a couple of other places just in the Gospel of John or the writings of the Apostle John alone. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Just a chapter later, John 6, 47, Jesus says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Just a few verses later, I am the bread Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Then in his first letter, the Apostle John emphatically writes, and this is the promise that we, that he made to us, eternal life. I hope you get the picture. I hope you get the picture. God keeps his promises if he just says it once. This promise is made over and over and over. Heaven is a promise. The next thing we see in this text is that heaven is the Father's house. 
If you think about it, the most basic definition of heaven is where God lives, the dwelling place of God. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you why you don't need to be troubled. Let me tell you a little bit about my father's house. The only other time Jesus uses the phrase, my father's house, is in John chapter 2, speaking of the temple. For the Jews, the physical building, the temple, was the place that represented where heaven and earth met. Now here, Jesus points beyond the limitations of the physical temple to what the temple pointed to all along. The eternal presence, the dwelling place of God. There's plenty of mystery to these words. But Jesus wants us to know his father's house is big. No one's going to be turned away for lack of room. In in this house are many rooms. I grew up with the old King James Version, which says many mansions. It's because our English word mansion comes from a Latin word that simply means dwelling place. But in our connotation, that's led us to some unfortunate interpretations. Like everybody has their own private giant mansion just over the hilltop. Maybe you used to sing that old hymn. The Greek word here simply means dwelling. So if Jesus' picture is of a house, then rooms is a good translation. It's the right idea. And again, don't be disappointed if you had a different idea. As we continue in our series, I hope you'll see the truth is better in every way. And remember, this is a metaphor. Jesus is using images that we can understand to paint a picture of what we can't quite fully grasp. But the sure promise is that we will dwell with God forever and that there's plenty of room in his house. Look now at verse 3. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. The next truth may seem obvious, but it's important, and that is heaven is a place. Heaven is a place. We'll get much more into this in the coming weeks. But for now, let me just say, heaven is not just a spirit realm or a disembodied existence. Heaven is a place. And it's a place specifically prepared for us to live together with God. We were created to be with our Creator, which is why we naturally long for the eternal. And so in heaven... The deepest longings of our heart will be fulfilled. And it won't just fulfill our longing. Heaven will fulfill God's longing too. Did you know that? Jesus isn't saying here, fine, if you guys need a place to crash for a little while, I think my dad's got some room. Just don't make noise. Make sure to clean up after yourself. No. All throughout Scripture... From Genesis to Revelation, and we heard it this morning in the call to worship in Jeremiah 31. God says again and again and again from his heart, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God's heart throughout Scripture. God longs to be with us. So let's erase from our minds the lies that so easily creep in. That God is just out to get you. God is just waiting to punish you or that you have to get your act together before God will ever accept you. Those are lies. Jesus gives us the truth. 
I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is God's heart for us. This is God's heart for you. Jesus says he's going to prepare this place. How does he do that? I don't know about you, but as a kid in Sunday school, I used to think Jesus was taking so long to come back because he's been so busy building mansions. Anybody else ever had that idea? Maybe I'm alone. I don't see any hands. Okay. I mean, he was a carpenter after all, right? So we get the, we get that picture. We get that idea sometimes. But remember the bigger context. He's about to leave his disciples. He's going to the cross and then back to the Father, and he doesn't want them to be troubled. So he wants to reassure them about his leaving. So don't think of his leaving that he's leaving the disciples so he can go and start the preparation. Think of his leaving as the preparation. What do we mean by that? You can hear the disciples saying in their distress, Jesus, don't leave us. We don't understand. Stay with us. And what's Jesus' reply? Do you know why I'm going to the cross? To prepare a place for you. See, Jesus going to the cross and rising again and ascending to the Father is the act of preparation. The act of making a way for us to be with God forever. The barrier between us and God because of our sin needed to be broken down. Jesus prepared the way for us to be reconciled with the Father, to have eternal life with Him When he died and rose again, what did Jesus say from the cross? It is finished. The door to God's house flung wide open. Which leads to our final truth from John 14 about heaven. Jesus clearly told us how to get there. Look at verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples were dense at times, like us, right? So thank you, Thomas, for asking the question we all wanted to ask. So we're not left wondering what Jesus meant. We don't know, Jesus, where you're going. Tell us, how can we follow you? Jesus says again, I'm going to the Father, and the way to get there is me. Jesus is saying he alone is the way to the Father, and that offends our modern sensibilities, doesn't it? But that doesn't mean it isn't true. Assume for just a moment that the Bible is right about anything that it says about God or humans or sin. Assume for just a moment that there was one way to handle our sin problem, to make a way for us to be with God. The sinless Son of God becoming a man, dying in our place to make a way. Only Jesus could make that way, and he made it. See, when the truth offends us, we always have a choice. We can ignore it. We can go on living in our artificial world that we construct for ourselves. 
When it comes to the faith, we can pick and choose the things we like about Jesus and just discard the rest. Or we can truly search for truth. We can wrestle with the claims that Jesus made. We can wrestle deeply with what Scripture tells us. You see, when you visit a foreign country, you need the right credentials. You need a current passport. You can't just make your own. I mean, you could try, but it probably won't get you very far. You can't just ask the customs agent nicely. You can't say, well, my cousin lives in this country and he'll, he'll vouch for me. No, so you need the right credentials from the right authority. In this case, you need a legal passport from the authority of the U.S. government, something you cannot produce on your own. In the same way, Jesus said, if you want to go to the Father, you go through me. Jesus is saying, I alone have the authority. I alone have the ability to take you there. So come with me. The Apostle John put it this way in his first letter. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here this morning, you're watching us online, and you're not really sure what to make of this, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, John is saying you can know that heaven is your home. We simply take Jesus at his word and believe. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he alone has the authority, that his work on the cross and the resurrection makes the way for us to have eternal life, to be reconciled to the Father. And if that's you, please reach out if you have questions about faith in Jesus. There's nothing more important than how you respond to the invitation of Jesus to find life in him. And for us believers, we too, we need to take Jesus at his word. Let not your hearts be troubled. I don't know about you, too often I let my heart be troubled about any number of things. Often it's because I take my eyes off the sure hope that Jesus is pointing me to here. We could reframe Jesus' command as a positive, something like, let your heart be filled with hope. Because the truth about heaven is meant to impact our lives today. And yet this truth is so often neglected, it's so often misunderstood by believers, it's no wonder it doesn't make a bigger impact day to day. Whatever is troubling you, whatever is heavy on your heart at this moment, take some time this week meditating on this passage and bring that before God in prayer. Not that you would forget that thing. Not that you would ignore what's troubling you, but that you would see it in a whole new light. That you would have the strength and the provision of Christ to face it in light of heaven. Whether it's politics or 
relational conflict. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's grief over a lost loved one. Bring that to God this week. Growing up, my grandma used to always say, I think I've died and gone to heaven. You know, she'd be eating a piece of chocolate or something like that when she'd say that. I think I died and went to heaven. I mean, chocolate's great and all. But looking back, I want to say, Grandma, dream a little bigger. Dream a little bigger. And for many of us in the church, we need to hear the same advice. Either we don't know what the truth about heaven is in Scripture, or we haven't really considered how it should impact our life now, how it's supposed to make an actual difference. So let's ask God to help us dream a little bigger together. Because heaven is a promise. These simple but profound words of Jesus are an anchor for us in our doubts and our struggles. When we're tempted to believe this is just too good to be true, when we settle for the temporary distractions of this world to sustain us in our search for life. Because remember, we can go to the well in St. Augustine. You can get your Dixie cup. You can take a drink. You'll be disappointed. You might even get sick. You can go looking for life. But if you turn to anything but Jesus, you'll still be thirsty. In John chapter 4, Jesus went to a well. Jesus found a woman there who was thirsty. A woman who was in desperate need of hope. Jesus said to her and to us here today, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because of Jesus. Because of his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to your side We can not only come into your presence now, but we have the promise of heaven where we'll be with you forever. So open our eyes to this incredible hope that awaits us. Open our eyes to the way this hope should change how we live, should change how we relate to one another. All with the provision of Christ in us, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.